everybody and welcome back to episode 13 of Reading with Grace, where we will continue to read the Unwanted's book 2, Island of Silence. But first, today we'll be picking up from chapter 6, and we have a recap of chapters 1 through 5. So last episode, we started off book 2, back on Artemé with Alex, and we checked in with the lands of Artemé and Quill to see how they were doing after the war. Artemé is getting used to the fact that necessaries from Quill are now coming to live in Artemé instead. Mr. Today told the Unwanteds to treat them with respect and to help them with their transition. Aaron is no longer anyone important or significant in Quill and was even thrown out of his dorm room unexpectedly. He also had a minor tantrum about his life. Mr. Today had a meeting with Alex and asked him if he would help to keep Artemé running while he was going to go on a holiday. He then proceeded to tell Alex how he wanted him to take over as the mage of Artemé after him. Alex is a bit shocked and not quite sure what to do, although he feels he is not capable of such a large job or responsibility. Enjoy the episode! Six, Aaron the Streeted. Aaron Stowe the Wanted, former assistant secretary to the high priest Justine, former future senior governor, former future high priest of the great land of Quill, stared at the quilletary soldiers encroaching upon him in the tiny room, and as much as he wanted to boom loudly at them, away from me, or the high priest will have your necks, he knew, and worse, they knew, that he had no authority anymore. Instead, and as big as a voice as he could draw upon, which wasn't very big at all, he said, I demand to know what you are doing here. Something cracked in his throat on the second syllable of demand, and the pitch stayed especially high for another two beats, which made the two of the quilletary soldiers snicker and repeat the words exactly as Aaron had said them. Aaron took a step backward, feeling the heel of his shoe brush against the wall behind him. He had nowhere to go. Pack up his things, the quilletary leader ordered. Get him out of here. No, Aaron whispered. His hands quivered, and he clenched them tight to stop it. The soldiers pulled Aaron's change of clothing from the dresser drawer, gathered his washcloth, towels, few toiletries, and his books, and they stuffed everything into Aaron's book bag. One soldier shoved the bag into Aaron's chest as hard as he could, slamming him against the wall and knocking the wind out of him. Aaron gasped and doubled over, trying to breathe, reaching desperately to grasp the bag as it fell, and just managing to slip his fingers around the strap and hang on. Two other soldiers flanked him, grabbed him by the arms, and pulled him back to his feet. They marched him out of his dorm room, down the hall, and out of the university entrance. Other students scrambled to get out of their way, and then watched guardedly as one of their own top students was out in disgrace. Once outside, the soldiers gave him a final shove. Aaron tripped and fell to the dirt road. He cowered near the ground for a moment as the soldiers climbed into their quilletary vehicle and painstakingly brought it to life, screeching and groaning. When it finally put-putted down the road as a snail's pace, Aaron shakily rose to his feet. He stuffed it off his pants, picked up his book bag, and dusted that off too. And all the while he was thinking in over and over, where am I to go now? When he had dusted off everything that could be dusted, he glanced over his shoulder at the people watching him from the university, and notched his chin just slightly higher in an attempt to regaining some dignity. He looked to his right toward the amphitheater and the necessary housing quadrants where his parents lived, and then to the left toward the quilletary sector and the palace. Finally, summoning up a bit of courage, he turned to the right and started walking. 7. Alex the Ponderer Alex 
Brooks watched the blackboard anxiously as bits of Aaron's ousting appeared before him. From Aaron's dormitory room to the lobby to the exterior of the building, Alex caught much of the story. And while Alex had known for a while that his twin could never be trusted again, he couldn't help feeling a twinge in his chest when he imagined how Aaron must feel. Then, there was nothing more to see. And since Mr. Dede didn't return, Alex eventually peeled his eyes away from the screens and went back to his regular class schedule, troubled though he was. Later that night, Clive, Alex's interactive blackboard, announced that a message should arrive from Mr. Dede. Well, what is it? Alex asked. All is well, Clive read. What's that supposed to mean? Clive just stared at Alex. Well, Alex, I think it means everything has gone completely haywire. You know, Alex said, I could do without the sarcasm once in a while. I do indeed know that. Clive smiled saucily and disappeared. Still puzzled over the pithy report, yet feeling a tiny bit better about things, Alex fell asleep pondering the unusual discussion he'd have with Mr. Today. He didn't tell his friends or anyone else about Mr. Today's sudden insistence that Alex would one day become Artemis' leader. But over the next days, Alex began to notice something strange. An occasional toothy smile from Miss Octavia, an encouraging glance from Mr. Appleblossom, a rare nod from Simber as Alex walked with his friends to the dining room one day. What was that about? Lonnie asked Alex. Simber rarely acknowledged students when he was sitting at his post by the front door, for he was quite often occupied with sampling the air for anything unusual, listening for things that might indicate an attack to his intimate. He took his job as Mr. Today's primary matching guard very seriously. Alex shrugged. Maybe he has an itch. Could be fleas. He glanced back fearfully at Simber after he said it, remembering too late that the statue's incredible sense of hearing. Simber narrowed his eyes at Alex. Sorry, he mouthed the giant beast, and he was sorry. He just didn't know how to handle Lonnie's question or how to explain. He also didn't know how to explain to Mr. Today that he would be happy to help in whatever way he could, but that Mr. Today had definitely made a grave mistake, and Alex would not be taking over any major league leadership roles now or in the future. Later, Alex and Lonnie headed toward the somewhat accidentally hidden third floor of the library, which both Alex and Sammy had discovered last year. Lonnie and Megan now knew about it as well, and the four often did their homework together there quite undisturbed, but for the occasionally yawning tiki statue that had once saved Alex, and the blackboard with a rare announcement. While Lonnie worked on history and literature, Alex created a list of reasons why he'd absolutely, positively no good as the next leader of Artemis. 1. Just not great in all the various branches of arts. Strong in painting, drawing, writing, but weak in singing and only so-so in acting and performance. 2. Kind of a pathetic weakling, no muscles. 3. Almost ruined the world when the governors came last year, would probably accidentally destroy it all single-handedly. 4. Not really into the lifelong family fight thing, would rather ignore problems like Aaron because they will probably go away. 5. Not exactly fond of having to deal with any other problems either. 6. Lack of confidence, after what happened last time. Alex stared at the last one, remembering the pain of Aaron sending that deadly scatterclip at him. He rubbed the tiny scar on his chest near his heart. It was still pink and his skin was sensitive there. He'd been confident back then, almost cocky about his abilities. To be injured so badly by someone who did magic accidentally, it was a blow, all right, and actually still a little bit too hard to talk about. He turned his pencil around to erase number six. Lonnie looked up from her work and watched Alex wiping tiny bits of eraser off his notebook page. She reached across the table and tapped his hand. What are you working on? He lifted his head and couldn't help but smile at the earnest look on her face. Wow, did you know that in the light from this table, your eyes are seriously bright blue? He asked. I wish paint came in that color. Lonnie blushed. She pulled her hand back self-consciously. 
Well, if anybody can make that color, it's you, she said. Maybe you should work on that. Maybe I will, Alex said. He held her eyes for a moment longer, remembering the time he kissed her cheek during magical warrior training. He smiled impishly and looked down at his notebook again, sobering as he tried to read over the reasons. It didn't take much for him to realize that Lonnie or even Megan or Sam Heed would make a much better ruler of Artemis than he. After a moment, he asked, still staring at the list, Can I tell you a secret? Sure. You have to promise not to say anything to anybody. Lonnie hesitated. Okay, I promise. She put her pencil down and folded her arms in front of her, ready to listen. Alex looked up at her. He bit his lip. Well, Lonnie prompted, I, well, you see, Mr. Today, he couldn't say it. It sounded so insane. Crud. Never mind. I'm sorry. Lonnie frowned. Okay? I shouldn't have said anything. It's just dumb anyway. Lonnie shrugged. Whatever. She pulled her book toward her and focused on it, and then, quite ceremoniously, turned her chair to the side so she wasn't facing Alex anymore. Alex squeezed his eyes shut and muttered under his breath, and then he looked at her profile for a moment longer. The way her hair parted at her shoulder, her olive skin tanned by the sun, her perfect nose and lips. He flipped the page of his notebook and sketched her. When he was finished, she wrote in tiny letters in the bottom right corner, For Lonnie, for always, Alexander Stowe. He pulled the page out of his notebook, took a tiny piece of translucent rubber from his pocket, dropped it in the center of the drawing and said, Preserve. The rubber melted and spread quickly to the edges, and the paper developed a glossy sheen that made it virtually indestructible. Lonnie looked up when she heard Alex's magical utterance. Alex slid the drawing over to her and watched as her eyes flitted over it, coming to rest on the words. She smiled then, studied a moment longer, folded it carefully, and put it in her pocket. Eight. Aimless. It didn't take long for Aaron to realize that he could never go home to his parents. Not if he wanted to retain a shred of class distinction. A wanted going back to a necessary family? It stank of defeat in mistaken classification. And while his feet carried him in that direction in the necessary quadrants, Aaron knew that he would not stop there, nor would he indicate any way that he was doing anything more than taking a walk for his own pleasure, and the ordure for his scorching heat. As night fell, Aaron's feet grew tired. He approached the necessary housing, unable to stop himself from seeing a glimpse of number 5443 as he passed by his family's row. It felt so familiar after years of walking home from school this way, yet that place was no longer home, nor could it ever be hauled home again. He increased his pace along the road and flipped up his shirt collar to apparently shield his face, hoping that none of his former neighbors would recognize him. But soon he discovered that the neighborhoods were all eerily quiet. Everyone is an archmay, Aaron realized after a while. Soon he left the housing quadrants behind and the land grew desolate. Late that evening, he neared the well-lit entrance to the magical world and slowed his pace. Two stone gargoyles sat on either side of one entrance, startling Aaron when they stood up and walked away. Looking in, Aaron saw people and creatures on the lawn, laughing and having a good time, eating and drinking and resting. A cool breeze blew through the opening, and Aaron closed his eyes, letting it wash over him. He swallowed hard, his throat parched. It would be so easy to sneak in and get something to eat and drink, he thought, except for one minor problem. He heard a snort and felt a hot, moist blast of air on his face. He opened his eyes and stumbled backward, knowing from experience what it was. RJ, one of the four enormous, silky-furred, long-necked creatures called Gerinos, whose duty it was to guard the entrance, knew Aaron by smell now and had smelled him coming. You again, she said. What of it? I thought everyone was welcome here. If you meant us no harm, you'd be welcome, but we've seen no sign of that. What do you want? Aaron shrugged. I'm just taking a walk. Looks like you're just standing. 
You have something against me standing in quill now? Not at all. Stand there all you like. Enjoy the fresh air. Audrey sat down and faced him, the ground shaking slightly when she did so. Her face was still at eye level with the boy. You want to talk? Let's talk. What's new at the university? How are things going for you now? Are you enjoying the stench as much as the others who have decided to come here to stay? Aaron scowled. Be quiet. He could see High Priest Haluki's family sitting on a blanket, eating and drinking, and a wave of fury swept through him. Ooh, such a mouth on you. Do you speak to your mother that way? I should hope not. Silence, Aaron said. RJ laughed merrily. Such a demanding tone. I'm sure everyone pays great attention to you when you do that. All your minions. Where are they, by the way? She tilted her head. Didn't you travel with guards once upon a time? Without a word, Aaron cast a final furtive glance at the food and water inside the gate, and then he turned away from RJ and began walking once again. Sweet dreams, RJ called out. Aaron clenched his fists and shoved them into his pockets, scratching his knuckles on the harsh fabric. He walked away until he was out of sight of Artemis, cursing Haluki and Mr. Today and his own brother for being the cause of all the bad that had happened to him. When there was no more lights to guide him in the remotest part of Quill, he moved off the road and sank to the ground against the wall to sleep. He stayed there in the shadow of the wall for two days. On the third morning, Aaron ignored the few travelers passing by and staring at him. He got up and continued walking, quite weak for lack of water in his heat. But what else could he do? He began to search the ditches for anything that could be considered edible or drinkable, but he knew his chances of finding anything were so terrible since it was against the law to throw away food, and there wasn't enough to eat or drink and quail to make anyone wish to throw it away in the first place. Aaron pondered it all after the news perspective of homeless and hungry, and he began to wonder why anyone would wish to stay in Quill when life looked so good in Artemis. If he were high priest, he knew what he'd do. He'd make Quill better than Artemis. He'd create more food, an abundance of food, and he'd utilize the ocean never knew existed until a few months ago. Indeed, he had to question, but only slightly, the sanity the high priest just seen to keep such a thing secret when it held so much potential. It was puzzling. If Aaron were high priest, he'd create a way to make the nasty seawater drinkable, and he'd open up a passage to the water on this side of Quill and figure out if there was anything in the ocean, like some sort of chicken of the sea, that people could actually eat. Wouldn't that be something, he thought, an endless supply of food? He grew nearly delirious at the thought. As the day wore on, Aaron found himself on exactly the opposite side of the island from the university, near the ancient sector in the barrier area. There were a few people around and Aaron wondered briefly if his father might be out digging graves today, but then realized it was late and all the necessaries who'd stayed in Quill would have headed home by now or out to do the jobs of the traders who'd left. Aaron stopped at the death post, a tall branchless dead tree trunk that had been anchored in the dirt and was leaning against the barrier shred. On it were posted the most recent deaths. He dug a long list of the names and only recently departed, though it wasn't very up-to-date since only teachers were allowed to write and they didn't have time to stop at the ancient sector very often to update the list. Only the wanted got their names listed, but this list was longer than usual due to the battle with Artemis. His eyes moved to General Blair's name and then to the High Priest Justine's. Aaron stared at it reverently. His throat was scorched from thirst, but now it ached even more from the sorrow he knew he shouldn't feel. With significant effort in his weak state, he touched the letters of her name and closed his eyes. Using his well-trained mind and all the effort he had in him, he willed his sorrow to turn into bitterness, knowing that his bitterness would soon grow into a most unhealthy desire for revenge. And revenge was necessary now. After all that had happened in the recent weeks, Aaron knew the truth. Revenge was the only thing that would keep him alive. Nine. 
Megan rules. Megan called the necessaries to order on the lawn, clapping her hands to get their attention. The other 19 unwanteds from Aaron's year stood in line nearby, feeling fairly important as the gaze growled upon them with a certain amount of awe. Welcome, Megan said. We are delighted to have you here. Sammy'd poked Alex. She sounds just like Mr. Today. Alex grinned. Definitely. Lonnie shushed them. I'd like to start by introducing their group leaders, Megan went on. She began calling the names alphabetically, and everyone stepped forward when their names were called. Alex glanced at Lonnie, whose face was hard. What's wrong? Alex whispered. It reminds me of our purge. Same names, same order, she said. I don't like it. You're right, Alex said, and it did feel ominous. Sammy, who overheard the conversation, said nothing, but his eyes were troubled. Don't say anything to Meg, he said. She'd feel bad. I'm sure she didn't mean it to be like that. Alex and Lonnie nodded. When Sam Heed turned his attention to Megan, who was assigning him his group, Lonnie elbowed Alex in the ribs. See? Ouch, Alex said, rubbing his side. Why are you always doing that? He likes her, you dolt. Can't you tell? He does not, Alex said. He watched Sam Heed for a minute. Does he? Totally. Watch him glare at Cole Wicket. He's furious that Meg's spending so much time with him. Really? Alex watched. And sure enough, when Cole went in the newly established groups to give out name tags, Sam he'd practically ripped them out of Cole's hand. Lonnie grinned. You need to spend more time noticing things, less of this brooding and wandering aimlessly. But that's what I do, Alex said. Are you trying to change me? Never, Lonnie said, a mischievous look in her eye. Okay, here goes me. Megan called out the names of the necessaries who would be in Lonnie's group. Alex checked his watch. He had to meet Mr. Today in 30 minutes. He wasn't sure how much he'd be able to do with his group. Megan called her own necessaries, and then it was Alex's turn, but Megan skipped over him. He looked at Megan, puzzled, trying to catch her eye. He caught Lonnie's raised eyebrow, too. She was utterly too observant, he decided. It was almost annoying. When Megan finished with all the groups, Alex sidled up to her. Did you forget my group? He asked. What? No. Mr. Today said you were only going to be here, so the necessaries would know who you are. But you weren't going to have a group. He said that? No, I'm making it up. Megan rolled her eyes. Well, I mean, what did he say exactly? Alex asked. He told me you were meeting with him regularly now, and that you wouldn't have time to do both this and that. What's up anyway? Alex glanced at Lonnie, who was straining to hear from several feet away, while simultaneously trying to talk with her group. He felt bad about not sharing news with his friends, but this afternoon he'd be telling Mr. Today that he couldn't be the new leader, so he didn't want to start any rumors, and it was nothing anyway. I don't know, he shrugged. I guess I'll head over there then. He walked to the mansion, stopped in his room to get the notebook that contained the list of reasons why he couldn't be a good leader, and then went to Mr. Today's office, which was empty. Alex wandered across the hall, made himself some tea in the kitchenette, and went back into the office, knowing he was a few minutes early. He looked eagerly at the university screen, and saw that Aaron's room remained empty. Scanning the other blackboards, he saw no sign of his brother. He wondered if Aaron had gone home to their mother and father's house, or if he'd found some other place to live. He turned away and looked around Mr. Today's office. On the walls were various odd bits of art, some of which Alex really felt drawn to, and other pieces that left him totally puzzled over Mr. Today's taste in paintings. A voice from the far wall of the office made Alex nearly spill his tea. Anything new in Quill? Ten. All the reasons why not. Alex whirled around with a shout as Mr. Today entered from a door at the back of the office. Alex had never noticed the door before. A moment later, its edges melted away, just a wall remained. Oh, wow. Sorry, I didn't know about that door. You scared me, Alex said, letting off a breath of relief. No, not much going on. Aaron's room is still empty. 
Do you know what happened? The mage adjusted his sleeves of his brightly colored robe. Well, I know it wasn't High Priest Haluki who sent Aaron packing. It was probably the university, or the Quilitary thinking he could no longer be trusted. Everybody in Quill is more than a little paranoid right now. Alex nodded. Sounds like it. He bit his lip, not wanting to ask, but unable to stop himself. So, Aaron is... okay? Mr. Today walked toward Alex. We're not sure where he is. According to RJ, he stopped by the entrance the other day and had a spirited conversation with her. But he didn't stay long. Aaron frowned. Why would he come here? I'm guessing he doesn't know where else to go. But we're sure he left? Yes, Mr. Today said, pulling his chair out and sat down in his desk, inviting Alex to sit across from him. He pointed to Alex's notebook. Oh, very nice. You must plan to take notes. I was hoping you would one day write a... Uh, not exactly. Alex perched on the edge of his chair and opened the notebook to the page he needed. It's just a list of things I have to tell you. Oh, Mr. Today raised an eyebrow. Well then, go ahead. Um, you see, I've been thinking a lot about what you said last week, and I've come up with some reasons for, um, not being able to do what you think I can do. Alex looked up. He didn't know how his hands were getting all sweaty. Go on, Mr. Today said. Okay, well, here, he said, and he handed the notebook to Mr. Today. You can just read them yourself, I guess. He felt a little foolish, but he was determined to make his wishes clear. Mr. Today peered at the paper, tapping his finger to his lips and nodding now and then as he read. Alex wiped his clammy hands on his pants, jiggled his foot up and down, and waited. Soon, Mr. Today looked up. Aha, I see, he said. So, what are you saying? I'm saying that I'm, like, I'm kind of like Miss Morning, I guess. I don't want the job. Yes, that's exactly it. The point, I mean, of what I'm saying, that is. A pocket of air rushed from his lungs with a little squeak after he said it. He shifted gingerly in his seat and waited for Mr. Today's response. The old mage smiled. But I haven't even told you anything about it yet. Are you sure you want to make that decision so hastily? It might not be what you think. Alex furrowed his brow. I guess I'm just not a leader. Mr. Today stood and began to walk slowly about the office. I understand, he said after a long minute of pacing. And I accept your wishes. We should all do what we are passionate about. Alex felt a rush of relief. Yes, totally. We, all of us should. Let me ask you, Alex, where do your passions lie? My, Alex began, my passions? His voice trailed off, and then he closed his lips again and thought for a long moment. I guess I'm not sure. Mr. Jardet nodded thoughtfully. Perhaps you can think about that over the next week, and we can discuss it when we meet again. Alex deflated. Perhaps, I mean, yes, of course. But in the meantime, my dear boy, will you kindly indulge my old soul by letting me tell you what my passions I see in you? Oh, okay, Alex said, a bit suspicious, but completely curious. Mr. Today's eyes lit up. Wonderful, thank you. He stood, staring out the window for a moment, one hand raised slightly before him as if to deliver a soliloquy, but not the magical kind. He brought his outstretched hand inward to clutch the folds of his robe near his heart and turned to face Alex. He began simply, In you, Alex, I see a young man who loves to create and experiment with new spells. True enough? Alex nodded. He was always creating or trying new things, trapping clay that forms shackles around an enemy's wrist, ankles, or neck, origami dragons that can attack from a hundred feet away, and the 3D door, something he was incredibly proud of, even though it had caused a lot of trouble. Very few Artemans could make one of those, only Miss Octavia, as far as Alex knew. I also see a loyal, fair-minded young man who cares about people and consistently wants to give them second chances when they mess up. Agreed? I guess, Alex said. He thought about this once enemy Sam Heed and how close they had become, and Lonnie, how she used to drive him crazy. And then he thought about Aaron.
Maybe I give too many chances, he said. He looked at his hands. Forgiveness is not a negative trait. Mr. Today walked to the window and looked out. Not if one possesses common sense, which you do, he said, turning and wagging his finger at the boy. And it's a priceless gift, too, for common sense is not something one can just acquire at will. You either have it or you don't, as they say. Yeah, Alex said, I suppose so. He looked up eagerly to see if Mr. Today had any more kind words to share. Alex, much of your strength lies in your honesty and your courage in battle and the way you inspire others to be better people, like Sam Heed, and believe it or not, like Aaron. Alex snorted. See, I'm a failure. Not at all. Aaron is fighting his own internal battle, and you very nearly swayed him to join our side. Perhaps one day you'll try again, and who knows what can happen. No one else in Artemis has that power. Alex was silent. Mr. Jardin moved back toward his desk and sat on the corner of it, facing Alex. He was wearing slippers today, Alex noted with a little grin. After a time, Mr. Jardin spoke again. I want to tell you a story, Alex. Alex nibbled at his bottom lip, waiting, wondering now if Mr. Jardin really understood that Alex was turning him down. Simber, the old mage said. Alex turned automatically to the door, expecting to see the beast. Mr. Jardin shook his head. No, he's not here. Simber was my first creation. Before there was Artemis, there was Simber.